Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped through the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. This week's message is titled, Called to Make Disciples. Pastor Dave Koop uses the Apostle Paul as an example of someone who made disciples. He also confronts two common misconceptions about discipleship. And now for this week's message. We are on a series called Answer the Call, and the whole year has been devoted. And so if we're devoted to the Lord, well, then we'll answer his call. We had different messages, different things that we want to answer. Answer the call to be generous, answer the call to serve. Today is called Answer the Call to Make Disciples. And so if you have your notes, grab those. We'll be going through that and taking time to review his word. We are called Christians, but we weren't always called Christians. Initially, we were called disciples. And that's in the early church. They said they were disciples. If you look at the New Testament, if you did a quick little word study, you'd find out the word disciple comes up about 260 sometimes, where in the book of Acts, you only find the word Christian three times. But yet, they're one in the same. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a Christian. In Acts chapter 10, it says that they were first The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, so we got that term there. And actually, at the time, it wasn't a very complimentary thing. They just said, oh, you guys are pretending to be little Christ-likes. That's what you are. You're little Christians. And so, but it stuck. And today, for the most part around the world, we're called Christians. But in actuality, before that, we were called disciples. And the Lord says, if you want to follow me, be my disciple, then you're one who loves the word. You abide in my word. Those are my disciples who will abide in the word. And guess what that means, church? That means we'd be devoted to his word. Amen? And that's why we're memorizing scripture throughout this year. We have two different levels. We have a gold level, and that's one verse a month. And then we have a platinum level, which is one verse a week. And uh, so how are you guys doing on the verse memory? Real good. All right. Some of you are like, I hope he just moves on because this is getting a little bit, I, I don't want a show of hands. I did the show of hands last night and uh, I won't do it for you this morning, but uh, I'm just gently encouraging you uh, to keep memorizing God's word. Hide God's word in your heart. If we're disciples, we love his word, memorize his word. Uh, I don't know why it is this way, but I found out my dad was right. When I was younger, my dad said to me, you know, you should memorize the scriptures. And he, we had Sunday school verses and so forth. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I, my dad had kind of encouraged me and he'd review my memory verse. What's the memory verse for the week? And I'd say it and, and I'd try to get out of it. And then he'd gently remind me to do it. And he said, you know, do it now because when you get older, it's harder to memorize the verses. It's, your mind isn't as good as when you're young. And I thought, no, nah, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, was it like that for you? There was a time in my life where my dad wasn't very smart. He kind of bottomed out in my teenage years. Like, I didn't know what happened to my dad, but during those years, he just was way down there. But then I got to 1920. Dad's on an uphill curve, and he's been smarter every year since then. My dad's a lot smarter now. He's passed away, but I see him as a, he's a brilliant man. But at the time when he said that to me, I thought, oh, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. But he was right. It was easier to memorize scriptures then. But nonetheless, keep memorizing, keep hiding God's word in your heart. It's life for us. It's spirit. Actually, God and the word are the same. In the beginning was the word. The word is with God, and the word was God. So Gently encourage you again, folks, memorize God's word. It's in your bulletin. Then also we have a verse for you this week if you're memorizing the scriptures, which we encourage you to do, to learn God's word. 
Our verse for this week, if you're memorizing, is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I think it's a good verse to memorize because this is the Great Commission. This is the mission statement that Jesus gives the church. And if you work for a company, you probably know your company's mission statement. If, if I said, what's Nike's mission statement, their slogan, you probably could guess that or other companies. And so I, I think we should know, right, what Jesus told us to do, what our mission statement is. So it's right here, Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Why don't we read it out loud together? Can you find your notes? Let's read it out loud together. You ready? Here we go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A couple things out of this verse we should highlight. One, we have to go. Therefore, go. Anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what therefore. Therefore. Therefore what? Therefore go, because prior to this, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, both on heaven and earth. Then he says, therefore go. Since I have authority, I'm passing that authority on to you. Kind of like the old Western, where the sheriff said to somebody, I'm going to deputize you. We have got to go. And he gives them that little badge, and they are a deputy. He gave us a badge. He gave us authority. And with that, he says, go. I'm giving you authority to go. I'm, uh, I'm empowering you to go. So the first word is go. By the way, two-thirds of God's name is go. So there you, there you go. <laughs> Number two, disciples are made. Make disciples. Or make Christians, right? Because, again, disciple and Christians, interchangeable. We could use the same words, make Christians. You know, it, have you found it to be so in your Christian life? It's, it's an ongoing process, right? I mean, I'm still a work in progress, and we're probably all a work in progress, if, you're, if you got it finished, could I please see your hand? Like, you got this all done, you got it all figured out, because we really need to talk to you. Uh, I think no hands went up, thankfully. That'd be weird if it Anyhow, <laughs> that could put a preacher on the spot. What do you do with that? No, anyhow, we are, <laughs> we are a work in progress. Make disciples, it says here. And it takes time, it takes a process to make it. How many enjoy Canadian maple syrup? Yeah, uh, yeah, lots of hands going up for that. On our pancakes, on our sausage, maybe on ice cream, whatever, Canadian maple syrup. And uh, it's one thing that Canada can give to the world. I know it's made elsewhere, but we're kind of known for our maple syrup. We've got the maple leaf on our flag, right? Sometimes we go on missions trips or go other places in the world. We want to bring a little gift, so I'll buy these little bottles of maple syrup because it's Canadian. It's, it's hard to find something that's really Canadian. We used to do international food night when the church was smaller. Downstairs would have a big, long table. Everybody would bring a dish. The Filipinos would bring their dish, and the Italians would bring their dish, and everybody would bring different dishes, and we'd put a flag in every dish from the country that it was in. It was a lot of fun, and it was, it was a smorgasbord of food from all our different countries. And then there was us that was born in Canada. What do you bring? There was a lot of Tim Hortons donuts and Timbits and with a little flag in it because what is the Canadian? I guess what's the poutine? We could have poutine, you know. But there's just not a lot of real Canadian dishes. But one thing we have is Canadian maple syrup. But when you buy this Canadian maple syrup, it, it doesn't come out of the tree like this. You have to make the syrup. You have to make disciples, make Christians. There's a process. They tap into the tree. This clear liquid comes out. 
and then they take it, put it in a slow boil, and about 50 or so gallons will equal one gallon of maple syrup like this. There's a process involved, a lot of heat's involved, straining involved, and so forth. But eventually, you get this beautiful maple syrup that we put on our pancakes and so forth, and it just takes time to make it. And so it is with Christians. It takes time for us to sweeten up, to become what we are, and there's a process. So you make disciples. That's important to note here. It says make Christians. We're, we're a work in progress and it takes time to do that. Again, one of the reasons we memorize his word is that is part of the process is putting God's word. He's, he's the branch, we're the vine, and we have to abide in him. And that's what makes this happen is we're connected to him. Uh, also, we see in this verse that it's for everyone. He's going to all nations. You look around this morning, there's all kinds of different nations represented here. And it's, so it is. We're going to all the nations. This is for everybody. And he empowers us to go. Don't let a border, don't let a political system. This is for everybody. Don't let a generation, for whatever era it is in, it is for everybody. And then he says to baptize them. Baptism really isn't an option. Uh, Of course, I know you can go to heaven without being baptized. The thief on the cross was not baptized, yet Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. But baptism is an outward expression of what took place on the inside of you. And so he said, baptize. Let people go public with their faith that I have become a follower, a disciple of Christ. In Canada, it's... You know, for some families more than others, it can be a really challenge, a big statement that when you're baptized, whew, you, you've made a radical change. It's, it, it really marks you. In some countries, you lose your right to vote. You can be persecuted for, even put to death, perhaps, for being baptized. So it really says, I have decided to be a follower. I've decided to be a disciple of Christ. So baptism is powerful in that. As I mentioned, Saturday night, we're going to be down in English Bay having baptism there. Now, we could do baptism all the time in the building. We do it in the winter months when it's really cold here. But actually, we prefer to do it down at the beach. And one of the reasons we prefer to do it there is it's more public. And people that come to baptism, friends, relatives, co-workers, that are very uncomfortable coming to the church... They have no problem going to the beach. And so they go down to the beach. I know what to do at the beach. I'm not sure what to do in your building, but I know what to do there. And so they'll come down to the beach. And, and when we're baptizing people, next week in the water, we'll ask two questions. One first question is, have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? And we, I encourage the people, the answer to both questions is yes, just in case they forget. The, the answer you want is yes. If you say no, we've got to come back out of the water and do some teaching. But it's better... <laughs> And there, there was a case where we had to, no, you have to be able to say yes to that. I can't baptize you unless you say yes to that. So that's the first one. The second question, though, is do you promise to follow Jesus Christ all the days of your life? We're asking, are you, are you going to be a disciple? Are you going to be a follower of Christ? It doesn't mean you're perfect. You're a work in progress. You're, you're, it's going to be like the maple syrup. There's a process involved, but are you willing to follow him? And again, the answer is yes. Then we baptize them on the confession of their faith. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, just like we read here in Matthew. It's about 2001. We just moved into this building prior to renovation. And in our young people, there was a young lady who had come to Christ. She was 17 or 18 years of age. And, you know, some people, when they find the Lord, it, it just it looks like they, 
like a flower that just opened up. And her life just became so bright. She became radiant. She was depressed. She was down. The way she dressed, her posture, everything was so dark. And when she came to the Lord, it was like her life just became this shining light. And she told her friends about it and everything. And, and then we talked about baptism. And she said, hey, I want to be baptized. And so he said, okay, great. She came back a week later and said, my dad has a problem with this. He wants to talk to you as a pastor. He wants to see you. I said, okay, well, let's go. So I went down here to Cole Harbor. They lived in an apartment. I went up to see him and came in and sat down to talk with him. And he said, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God. And I have a problem with my daughter being baptized. And I said, well, we're not here to ever separate a family. We're here to bring families together. So I respect your position. Your daughter has had a great change in her life and I explained what happened. And, and it, it would mean the world to her if you would come and just and, and honor her, her faith, her decision. He said, well, I don't want her to have anything to do with that. And he was, he was, he was upset with me, upset with church. He was upset with a lot of things. And he, he, he took that opportunity to vent on me. You know, not every job the pastor has is fun. And that was not my most fun day as, I, as he kind of tore into me and the church and a lot of other things. And I listened. And then at the end of it, I thought, well, the worst he could say is no. I said, well, can I just pray before I go? And to my surprise, he said, sure. You can, yeah, sure. Why not? doesn't mean anything anyhow, so go ahead and pray. So I prayed. I, I believe in the power of prayer. And so I just prayed and prayed a short prayer and got up to leave. And uh, I really left it up to her, up to them. If, you know, there's, we're not pressuring you to be baptized. That's a decision between you and the Lord. And as I left, going out the door, she just came over and gave me a little hug. I hugged my daughters, and it just was just a hug. We hug at church, you know. It was just a hug, and he blew up. I mean, he got mad. And, oh, I can't believe she's hugging you. She won't hug me. And she's, he's just tearing into me. And I'm standing there at the door. It was awkward. It was... <laughs> what do I do? I, she just wanted to hug me. I just gave her a little hug. It was, I said, okay, well, you know, I I kind of just diffused it and said, you know, I'm sure she respects you and all the rest. And, you know, just, yeah, okay. And just left and prayed. I said, well, probably won't see her at baptism. And then next day we have baptism. And we walked that day from the church down to English Bay and I'm walking up Butte street and, uh, I hear her calling, Pastor, Pastor. And I look, I said, are you coming to watch? Or are you coming to be baptized? She said, I'm coming to be baptized. I said, well, what does your dad think about this? She says, well, he doesn't approve. I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Say, so, have you ever prayed just one of those quick prayers? Said, okay, God, what, what do I do? And I just prayed a quick, God, because I respect the father. We respect the family. We're here to bring we want families to grow together, and, and, and yet at the same time, it was her faith. She's 17, 18. She's old enough to make a decision like that. So, and Lord said, just leave it. It's okay. Let her be baptized. She needs us. And so we went down the water, and she was baptized. She put in a number of prayer requests. I want to live with my mom. She lives out in the valley, and I want to live with her. She's going to, she had a church there, and so we started praying, and and within a couple of months, she was able to live with her mom. And she moved out there, went to church there. And we thought, yay, great. And then the report came back to us. We weren't aware of this during this whole time. But we came, the report came back. She was growing in God there and everything. But I found out why her dad was so mad that she gave me a hug. It's because 
her father had been sexually abusing her since she was a little girl. But in the heart of the city, how many other cheerless cheerleaders are there? How many others have been abused? Jesus wants to rescue. And that day when she was baptized, something broke. All the change, all the torment, all, and who could even describe what was going on in her, her, in her mind, in her life? But Christ rescued her. And it was a day that that past is broken, and I'm a new person that will not hold me back. Something powerful about Christ rescuing us. Something He, the Son, sets free, is free indeed. And she was wonderfully baptized, and I'm so glad God answered the prayer, and she found another, could live with her mom instead of living in that abusive situation. Cause us to pray for her dad. Cause us to pray for her. So baptism is important. It says teach what you've learned. Uh, pass it on. Uh, teach others what you've learned. And then I like the last part. Lo, I'm with you always. Be sure of this even to the end of the age. By the way, that means May 26, 2013. He's with us. Aren't you glad God's not a hitchhiker? Oh, I'll go with you for five miles and I'm off. Sometimes, you know, you feel people are hitchhikers. They're with you until you hit a snag, and they're like, okay, see you later. Have fun with that. God's not like that. God's with you till the end of the age. A couple of misconceptions about making disciples. One is, well, I don't know enough to disciple anyone. Who am I to disciple someone? I think that's for pastors, for missionaries, for Sunday school teachers, or for life group leaders. We're all to make disciples. He said this, this was for all of us to make disciples. So we're going to do a little experiment here this morning, and we need your participation. How many of you here today would say, I have a pretty good marriage. I know they're not perfect, but we have a pretty good marriage. I've learned some things from the Lord, and I've learned some marriage principles, and uh, our marriage is stable. We have a growing Christian marriage. How many would say that? Just raise your hand if that's you. Okay, good number of hands. Thank you. Uh, let, let me ask you this question. How many have been really hurt at some time in your life? You've been betrayed. You went through just a really challenging time, but you trusted God. You learned to forgive. You moved on with it, and that thing no longer holds your life. You learned to forgive and move on with your life. How many have, have, you could say, I've done that. Okay, good number of hands. Uh, let me ask you another question. Who here today would say, I live in a city. I'm by myself. I'm... I live alone, but I'm not lonely. I have learned in the city to do life. I've learned to build community despite the fact that I'm alone. I'm single. I'm not lonely. I'm healthy, even though I'm single. Let me see your hands. Good for you. Good number. All right. Let me ask you another question. Who's here today and you have... Uh, in the past, maybe you struggled financially, but you learned some financial principles. You learned it's better to be a lender than a borrower. You learned the power of giving, the power of tithing, the power of putting God first in your finances, in your business. It's not, it's not in, you're not in bankruptcy. It's healthy. Or you're in your place of employment. Your finances are healthy. You're, you're, you feel like it's not under control. Your finances are healthy. Your walk with God is healthy in this area. It's, let me see your hands. Okay. So we could put up more hands for more examples. But if you raise your hand on one of those today, would you please stand? All right? Everybody stand. Boy, there's a lot of people standing here this morning. And you don't have to stand if you didn't raise your hand. Your, your hand may have been raised on something else. But guess what, folks? You are all disciple makers. Because what you were saying, hey, I could do this. Guess what? You could help somebody else along the way. You could help train and help make some maple syrup, okay? So give yourself a big hand. You're all disciple makers. And sometimes we just need to look around and say, 
well, I could help somebody with their marriage, or I could help this person who's new to town who's single and lonely. I, I could do that. Exactly. We can all help make disciples in different areas. The second myth or misconception is that I don't need someone to disciple me. That sounds a lot like pride. There's a statement in your notes, the better that you are at something or the better that you hope to be, the more specialized help you should seek. Take hockey, for example. Peewee hockey has one coach. Our hockey team has one coach. But the Canucks, well, they're getting a new coach, but they, <laughs> they, they, have, they, have, they have a new head coach on the way, I'm sure. But then they have an assistant coach. They have a goalie coach. They have a skills coach. They have a fundamentals coach. They have a health coach. They've got lots of coaches in hockey because it's getting more and more specialized. If you played football, you had an offensive coach, you had a defensive coach, you had a special teams coach. You got different coaches because it's more specialized. The more you go in life, the more you need somebody to disciple you. If you're a new dad, you need somebody to disciple you, teach you principles. If you're new to business, if you're new to your faith in God, uh, if you, you know, I didn't have this. I could have somebody who here knows how to pray. You could disciple somebody else how to pray. Who here knows their Bible? You know, you know the books of the Bible. You know the Ten Commandments. You know who the apostles were. You know where to find certain things in the Bible. You could help somebody else. This happens in our life groups a lot. So we can make disciples, and we need to be discipled. Amen. Two very important misconceptions we just need to clear up. Now, Paul is a great example of somebody who made disciples. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. A great, great passage. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Can you say that with me? Always be full of joy in the Lord. Then he says, I say it again, rejoice. Why is it so important to be full of joy? Because people are attracted to happy people. And if you look like you got baptized in pickle juice or you slept upside down in a post hole, nobody really wants to follow what you're following. And sometimes Christians get miserable, and who wants to follow a miserable Christian? I think Christians should reflect the joy of the Lord, amen? And if you're discipling somebody, there should be some joy in your life. Sometimes, folks, to rejoice is a choice. I make a choice to rejoice. It's kind of like the pump where you got to, we had on the farm, we had to put some water into it, had to prime the pump, and then after a while the water flowed. Sometimes it's that way with your joy level because you have no circumstances to make you joyful. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is dependent on your circumstances. Joy is dependent upon what we have in Christ. So I rejoice in the Lord always. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Considerate. Another translation says reasonable. Be reasonable. Somebody said to you, can you just be reasonable? Maybe the wife said to the husband, can you just be reasonable a little bit? That's what it says. Be considerate. Be reasonable. Be gentle. That's attractive. Remember the Lord's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Then think about things that are excellent, worthy of praise. Look at verse 9. Keep putting into practice. You know, living the Christian life, being a disciple, it's a lot about practice, right? You know, you go to a doctor, it says they're practicing medicine. I'll resist that comment. Uh, 
I think sometimes as Christians, you know, we just have to cut each other some slack. We're still practicing. Okay, I haven't got this all figured out yet. I'm still practicing forgiveness. I'm still learning. I I am a work in progress. Keep practicing. Put into practice all you learned to receive from me. Because he was discipling them. He was helping them. Then, this is important. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. What you heard and you saw. Paul tells them what you heard. And again, you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you're discipling somebody, if you're helping them, if you're helping them in their marriage, discipling them, encouraging them, your words are really important. You can, oh, you know, you guys can do it. If you're discipling somebody, making disciples, very important that we use encouraging words. With our children, use encouraging words. We're all called, if you have children, we're called to make disciples of our children, to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. So words are important, but also our example is important. What you saw. Sometimes what we see is more important than what we hear. And we follow means to imitate. We live in a world where we just tend to imitate our culture around us. We have to be intentional about imitating, following others. Do you have people in your life that sometimes you just think about, okay, yeah, how would they do that? There's people that have discipled us, Brother Littlefield we've talked about, and there's sometimes we'll just think, oh, yeah, how would Brother Littlefield do that? I'm imitating him. Yeah, this is what he would do. So we imitate, we follow, and Paul says, practice. Put into practice what you saw me do, what you heard me say. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Why would Paul be worth imitating? Why are our lives worth imitating? If we're going to make disciples, what should be the characteristics? Same thing that Paul had. Paul, one, he was joyful. I think that's really important that we have joy in our lives. If we're known to be angry or upset or unhappy, some people can't even, they they won't even think we are a Christian in the first place or a disciple. There's a great story. I suggest you find it online. It's called The Pineapple Story. You can Google it, and I think it's on YouTube or different places. But it's about a a Dutch missionary named Otto. And Otto went to now Indonesia. I think it used to be called Papua New Guinea as a missionary. And he was working with a very difficult group there. Uh, Very, uh, the the tribe he worked with was very, they were headhunters. And so they had a whole different culture for sure. And uh, he wanted to grow some fruit. So he had a, grew a pineapple field and uh, took three years for his pineapples to come up he was so excited to have some fresh fruit have some pineapples but the natives came out and they stole all his pineapples and so he, he got really upset at them he chased them like go away go away go away don't take my pineapples and they but they came anyhow they come and steal his pineapples and they had a culture where they they they, they taught to steal they were ta- they were taught as kids how to steal they'd come and steal pineapples and he had a clinic. They, his wife was a nurse, and so they helped them. They gave them medicine and helped them and helped get rid of the sickness that was in their tribe. And uh, so he was so angry. He, they came to him, and they said, he said, okay, if you, don't, you will get no more medicine unless you stop stealing my pineapples. And so they, they kept stealing pineapples, so he stopped giving them medicine. And they, they got sick. Oh, what kind of Christian am I? You know, I'm, here I am. I should be giving the medicines. Okay, come back. You can have some medicine. And then he also had a little store where he, he sold fish hooks and different things. And they came in. They said, oh, I'd like to buy a fish hook, but I don't have any money. I want to trade you some pineapples for your fish hook. <laughs> he says, those, those are my pineapples. <laughs> you stole my pineapple. You got the nerve to come in here. You want my stuff with my pineapple. No, you can't have it. Get out. Take your pineapple. Take my pineapple. Leave. And he's just so angry. 
And they, they said they called him long nose in their word. They called him long nose, which meant angry person. He was known as the angry person because he's, he's so mad. There. Those are my pineapples. I planted them. I rest. I want some fresh fruit. Please, God, some fresh fruit. We're laboring here for you. For five years, they stole his pineapples. They would bring their little girl. One mom brought his little girl, her little girl, in front of the pineapples. He was hiding. He was watching this. And she taught her daughter how to steal pineapples. Watch for them. When they disappear, you run get, and disappear. He said, I was watching this. So she went and stole a pineapple. I went and caught her. And the mom came out and says, what are you doing? And she disciplined her little girl. He said, what are you doing? Are you disciplining her for stealing? No, I'm, I'm mad at her because she got caught. I'm a, I'm a bad mom. I, I should have taught her better. She got caught stealing. It's so bad. Because their whole culture was you steal. That's the way you survive. Because you steal from one another, you steal. You just steal. He goes, oh. So finally, they said, that's it. We're out of here. We're going back home. We're going on furlough. We're going to find another mission assignment. Enough of this. My health is gone. His health was broken. His, his life was a mess. And a lot of it related to his pineapples. He was mad that they stole his pineapples. When he was there, the leader of his organization, a Dutch Reformed church, said, you need to go to Bill Gothard's seminar. Some of you might remember Bill Gothard. So he went there, and Bill Gothard talked about discipleship, where everything you have is not your own. It's God's. And you give it to God, and God will take better care of it than you can take care of it. He actually he takes good care of his things, and if you give it to God, he'll take care of it. Oh, I was so convicted. I wept and I wept. I thought, I was so selfish. I was a bad disciple there in, in, in Indonesia. I need to go back. So he told his wife, we're going to go back. She said, no, 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 we're not going back there. He asked, we need to go back and make this right. So he went back. They went there. They went to each village, and he gave them a gift. And the gift he gave them was a knife. They, it was very precious to them. And they said, why are you giving us this? It's because I was wrong. I'm asking for your forgiveness. They had no word for forgiveness. They had no word for restitution. But he gave them the knife, and he said, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, and, and they didn't understand it. He says, you know what, I'm, I'm just sorry. And so, and, he, and of course, he came back and gave his pineapple, took another couple of years to grow the pineapples, and he gave his whole pineapple patch to God. But he says, they came and stole anyhow. I says, God, you're not doing a very good job of guarding the pineapple patch. I'm going to help you because I want a few myself. Like, if I can even just have a few leftovers, God, it would be nice. So I'll help you guard the pineapple patch. He started chasing them away. And God says, no, no, I, it's mine. What are you doing? Just trust me with the pie. If, they, if I want them to steal it, what's that to you? It's mine. You gave it to me, right? Yes, yes. Okay, God, I gave it to you. So he really wrestled with it and finally came to the place. Okay, God, it's yours. I am, uh, they could, it's yours. And he said, all of a sudden, I got really happy. And they came to steal. Yeah, steal some more. Take some more. Yeah, there's some good ones over there. I saw right but yeah, Help yourself. And they looked at us. And said, Whoa, he's really, he's, he's so happy. What happened to Long Nose? Long Nose is happy. And so one of the leaders came to him and said, you know, you're really joyful. What happened to you? You're so happy. He says, well, I, I, uh, I gave my garden away. You gave your garden away. He said, and, and they asked him, he says, and when did you become a Christian? He said, oh, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't been a Christian. Because when you were here years ago, you told us what a Christian was like. And we've been looking for one ever since, but we've never found one. Well, we think you've become a Christian because you're happy and you have love. So we think you've probably become a Christian. And so that's nice you became a Christian. Because I was so convicted. I, they'd asked me who I gave the garden to, but I was so convicted that they asked me, when I became a Christian, that I couldn't even, I just got so choked up. I said, I'll tell you tomorrow who I gave the garden to. I went inside to process it. And uh, I woke up the next morning. And he said, 
you know, to his wife, you should come out and hear this story because they're coming to find out who I gave the garden to. And he found out they had a very, very miserable night because they were upset. Who did he give that garden to? Because we, now we don't know who we're stealing from. This is a real problem. <laughs> it could be the witch doctor. It could be... It could be just about anybody. Now we have a problem. We don't know who we're stealing from. And so they were upset. They came the next morning with spears and bows. And they, were, they pointed the spears at him. He said they were flexing their bows and, and flipping on the string and, and just intimidating him. He said, who did you give the garden to? He said, well, why? He says, because. They asked him when. He said, well, four months ago. He said, well, they said, since then, we've had problems. He said, well, what's been your problem? Our wives aren't getting pregnant, and our tribe's survival depends on having children to fight fights, and we need them, and we haven't been getting fish the way we used to get fish, and the rain hasn't come the way it used to come, and, and uh, we can't find wild boars anymore, and, uh, and something happened since four months ago. What? Who do you give it to? And he said, well, he said, I gave it to God. Oh, and then they were really upset. You gave it to God. Well, now what do we do with that? Like, so one of the leaders of the clansmen, he had children and grandchildren, an older man stepped up and he said, I want to ask you a question. Can your God see in the dark? And he said, yeah, he's got eyes like a cat. He can see in the dark. <laughs> so he turned to all his, his clan and he said, don't ever steal pineapples again because this God is powerful. He can see in the dark. <laughs> and then another guy stepped up and said, could your God stop the rain? Could your God be such that, you know, if, he, his, if his blessing wasn't on it, our, our, our women wouldn't have children. Could that be so? Is your God that powerful? He said, yes, our God is that powerful. And they said, well, well, don't steal from this garden again. And then came the question, well, tell us more about your God. Because we see you're happy and joyful. Now we want to know about your God. And Otto makes a great point. To be a disciple of God, to be a follower of Christ... You have to have a deep respect for him. And that tribe turned him. Because the fear of the Lord or the respect of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, you know what happened? That tribe repented. They turned around, changed their ways. They learned what forgiveness was. They learned what true joy was. They learned they didn't have to steal. They learned the power of giving. And a nation, a tribe that hated, lived off hate and revenge and uh, would dance around. The women used to dance around with the bloody heads of heads they'd cut off of other tribes that changed because God is a God of love. It started because one man learned what it really meant to be a disciple. What it really means to be a disciple is, Lord, I deny myself. I take up my cross. All I have is yours. You take better care of it than I take care of it. Wow. Okay, he was full of joy. We spent a long time on that story. Give God praise because he is a God of great joy. Paul was considerate. He was reasonable. That's important. He was reasonable. It says, be considerate, be reasonable. Well, I wish we had more time. It's slipping away. We're going to do communion yet this morning. Uh, Be reasonable. Mm. Considerate. Just a quick story. We'll slip it in here. (laughs) Francis Chan, he's a great pastor. He tells a story. As you'd recognize by his last name, Chan, he's Asian, and he's got five kids. His oldest daughter comes home, and she has an F on her report card. 
And he said, Asians don't get Fs. There's a problem if you have an F in an Asian family. And I guess in any family, but especially, he said, at least in their culture. And, uh, and she comes to the mom and tells her mom. The mom says, well, you better go talk to your dad. She's afraid to go talk to dad. I got an F. So she comes. She says, dad, I got an F. What are you going to do to me? And he goes, oh, boy, what do I do? And he stopped and thought. Then he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out for dinner. You get to go to the movie of your choice. And then we're going to go for ice cream. I want to explain to you God's grace. God's grace is when God blesses us even though we don't deserve it. And I'm going to bless you even though you don't deserve it. But I'm only going to do this once. So get this right now. Okay, this is a one-time example, all right? But I want to show you what grace is like. She goes back to school the next day. And she had told her friends, I got an F. My dad's going to kill me. So she went back and her friend said, what did your dad do? Well, my dad's going to teach me about grace. He's going to take me to a movie. I have my choice. We're going for dinner. We're going for ice cream. And you know what they said? I wish I had a dad like your dad. Why? Because they saw the grace of her father. And you know what? There's a world out there that would like to know our father, but they won't be even attracted to our father unless they see the grace of God in us, unless they see the joy of God in us. It's so, if we want to make disciples, there's got to be joy. There has to be a consideration, be reasonable. That's what, we can't make disciples. Paul made disciples because he had these characteristics. He had his mind under control. He was, yes, a work in progress, but we see these characteristics of Paul in his life. Thanks so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.